So I picked up Annie Grace's This Naked Mind and I read it and I thought, oh, oh, once read you can't unread. And I read it basically three times and I was like, I can't go back to drinking. I couldn't, not when I'd read what I'd read and how it's flipped everything on its head about all my belief systems around drinking. And so after reading that book, it was almost like it gave me permission because I obviously went straight to the Can I Moderate chapter, which I think most people do. I launched straight into the Can I Moderate. I didn't start with any of the others. Like, right, Can I Moderate? And I was like, the very fact I'm opening this page first told me. I knew it instinctively that I couldn't. Mm. But then when she said the very fact that you're opening this page indicates that you've got an issue, you've got a problem. And then, like she rightly said, the bandwidth that it took up thinking about how I would make my drinking okay so that I get I just thought it's it's too much effort it's exhausting welcome to the tribe this is your weekly podcast from tribe sober whether you're already sober striving to be sober or just plain sober curious you need a tribe you need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone you need a tribe because you need support and that's where we come in Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, Tribe Leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast, episode 178. My name is Janet Goron. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last seven years, we've helped thousands of people to do just that. We created Tribe Sober because we know from experience that it's really, really hard to change your drinking habits alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. Each week, we feature a community voice just to give you a flavor of the awesomeness of our tribe. I did some research on the theory of change in 66 days, and I kept going. And somewhere between 55 and 66 days, I found a new life. I slept well, I was happy, I was full of energy, and I lived life as I imagined it should be. So if you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. Even though we already offer our members a lot of support, we're always on the lookout for new benefits for them. And that's why I'm so excited to be talking to this week's guest, who is a functional medicine coach and will be offering her services to our community. A functional medicine coach can help us with the transition between drinking and building a healthy lifestyle. We all know the damage that alcohol does to our bodies and brains, and we all know vaguely what we need to do to build up our health again, but a health coach will personalise that plan for you and then ensure that you actually put it into practice. So I'm delighted to introduce Tribe Sober's new functional health coach, who is called Laura, Laura Gujadu. I began by asking her to introduce herself. Hi, Janet. Lovely to to be here. Um, I currently live in Mauritius. I've been here 10 years 
interestingly, that's obviously how I met your your recovery coach, um, Lynette. We we hooked up here. But my husband's Mauritian. I'm originally from the UK, and we've got two children. One's now 18, so an adult. The other one's nearly 16. And we decided to move from the UK to to be near a family and for basic quality lifestyle while our kids were growing up. So we came here. Um, prior to that, when I was in the UK, we were based in in a place called Lincoln. I was a solicitor. And before I was a solicitor, I was a nurse in the NHS in Sheffield, where I actually did nursing degree and qualified and worked there in, in respiratory medicine and acute medical admissions. I did my nursing and then thought after two years, so I can't continue doing this into old age. It's going to be backbreaking because, you know, you have staff shortages and things like that. You're lugging and tugging patients that you should be putting on a, a hoist and it just didn't work. So I thought I can't be doing this until retirement. And at the end of my nursing degree was a very interesting part about duty of care and negligence, which I found fascinating. So I thought, ah, I'll do a law degree. So I basically did a master's in law and then practiced as a solicitor for a couple of years, then took a break to have the kids. And then we moved to Mauritius. So I haven't sort of officially worked here. It's quite hard to work here. And certainly pay is is very, very low. And it's quite hard to get a a job that would would suit what I want to do in functional health. So I'm sort of kind of starting up on my own, really. So tell us a little bit about functional medicine. What is it? So functional medicine differs to conventional medicine. Conventional medicine is, is disease management. It's treatment of symptoms. Functional medicine or lifestyle medicine, it's also known as that, or holistic medicine, um, it looks at the root cause of disease and illness. So if you were to go to a doctor, a conventional doctor with a rash or something like that, it's unlikely that a conventional doctor would ask you, what are you eating? What are your stress levels like? Um, have you got any, have you had any allergy testings? Have you been taking antibiotics recently? It's likely that they would look at the rash give you a cream for the rash and, and basically tell you to go away and it will be a steroid kind of cream and then you come back and the, the rash may have abated for a short period of time but it's not got to the root cause of what's actually going on. Whereas holistic medicine, functional medicine looks at the root cause of disease and illness and aims to start from there and it also tries to catch disease and illness before it becomes a disease. So conventional medicine, you go to them when you are sick. Functional medicine, you are encouraged to to work on your health so you don't develop chronic disease and illness, so it doesn't become a long-term problem. And so ultimately, you become the, the architect of your own health. When did you first start getting interested in functional medicine? I've been interested Really, since I gave up drinking five years ago, I, I would say that everything sort of came off the back of that. But really getting interested in health and wellness started around four four or five years ago, but it really ramped up about three years ago, I would say. There was a diagnosis of, of depression within the family, a close family member, that I just thought, this doesn't sound right. They went to the doctor, they were diagnosed with depression, they were given an antidepressant, and I was just not content to leave it at that because it didn't fit in with the rest of this person's character. And it just seemed like, oh, is that it? You're depressed, but why? I stumbled across a book called The Ultramind Solution by Dr. Mark Hyman, and he calls himself the accidental psychiatrist. And he basically says that when he heals someone's gut and sorts out the inflammation, 
the cognitive function improves, the depression goes away, the anxiety goes away. And having been a nurse, and I'm also married to a doctor, and both of us didn't have that knowledge. And I was like, I read the book and I literally was sat in bed with my eyes wide open. And I passed it to my husband and I was like, you have to read this. This is this is unbelievable. This, this turns everything on its face. And there was a, a quote in there that said, depression is not a Prozac deficiency. And it really stood out to me because I, I have mental health illness in, in the family. My mum was diagnosed with depression and alcoholism. And I thought, gosh, if we'd have, if I'd have known or she'd have had the information, maybe she wouldn't have gone down the route that she went down. Maybe she'd have had a much better quality of life. And it really got me thinking. So that, that really started everything. I read that book and then I kind of approached functional medicine in the same way that I approached sobriety. As in when I started reading around giving up drinking when I made the decision to stop, it was literally like my eyes were open when I read Annie Grace's This Naked Mind, like I know yeah. everyone in the sober community's covered. When I read it, I was like, what? I don't enjoy Sauvignon Blanc. I don't need it to... Re-. It was such an eye-popping, eye-opening moment. And I, I wanted to scream out, we've been conned. It's <laughs> a big con. And that's exactly how I felt when I found out about functional medicine. Having been in the conventional yeah. uh, paradigm, I suddenly thought, this is a big con. It's big pharma, it's big agriculture. I've been very naive to all of that. And I've been in the medical system and I never questioned any of it. I never questioned why is that patient coming back time and time and time again? Why are their problems not resolved? And all of a sudden, the Ultramind solution opened my eyes in the same way that Annie Grace's This Naked Mind opened my eyes. And it was like, oh, there's no going back now. I've got to follow this through. I think even to this day, from what I I, I know, uh, medical school, they don't talk much about alcohol and the harm that it does to our bodies. Some doctors genuinely don't know, and no. others drink a lot themselves. No, absolutely. They, they really do. And, and when we, we recently went back, as I said to you before we started recording, we went back for my husband's medical reunion, which we had a lot of fun with. And functional medicine is slowly starting to make its way through to mainstream, yeah. But, you know, I think there's a saying, no one drunk, you know, you know that you drink too much if you drink more than your doctor. Yeah. <laughs> that used to be a famous saying in the UK. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. So talk to us about your drinking, Laura, your drinking story and why you decided to stop. It was five years ago when the UK were in the quarterfinal of the World Cup in Russia and we had a huge party at ours. And the following day I woke up and I was like, enough, enough, I'm tired. But I had no decision to to permanently stop. So I thought I'll stop for a month, I'll quit for a month, which was a long period of time for me at the time because I, you know, I, I didn't drink daily, but I definitely drank three, three days a week, four days a week tops. But still, I look forward to those days. I look forward to to Friday night, I look forward to the wine, etc. So that was still a big thing to do the month. And I did it with reference to one year, no beer. I white knuckled it through. But because I had so much more time on my hands, because obviously not drinking frees up time, I started reading, which is what I do when I find something that I want to do, I soak myself in it and I read myself into oblivion. So I picked up Annie Grace's This Naked Mind. And I read it. And I thought, oh, oh, once read, you can't unread. And I read it basically three times. And I was like, I can't go back to drinking. I couldn't, not when I'd read what I'd read. 
and how it's flipped everything on its head about all my belief systems around drinking. I basically thought about it and really, really gave it a lot of thought. And I just thought, I can't go back to drinking after reading that. And I knew intuitively that I didn't want to. I knew that intuitively, if I'd have continued, there could have been problems. My mum's an alcoholic that's, that's now in a home and has lost everything. So I always sort of drank with that monkey on my shoulder watching, which was a gift in many ways. I'm not saying that I was a sensible drinker. I wasn't. There were many times that I, I was a very, very careless drinker. But I would always wake up in the morning and go, oh, I've got to watch this. Or oh, I need to be aware. It just took me time to get there. And so after reading that book, it was almost like it gave me permission because I obviously went straight to the Can I Moderate chapter, which I think most people do. I launched <laughs> straight into the Can I Moderate. I didn't start with any of the others. Like, right, Can I Moderate? And I was like, the very fact I'm opening this page first told me, I knew it instinctively that I couldn't. Mm. But then when she said, the very fact that you're opening this page indicates that you've got an issue, you've got a problem. And then like she rightly said, the bandwidth that it took up thinking about how I would make my drinking okay so that I get I just thought it's it's too much effort it's exhausting so it was almost like a lifeline when I read that and I just thought I've got to throw myself into this non-drinking lifestyle in the same way that I threw myself into my drinking lifestyle I've just got to approach it with the same level of gusto and excitement and and look at it from the point of view that not not what am I missing out but literally what am I gaining and I did. I, I managed to do it. And I was, I feel very lucky. It wasn't horrendously difficult because I think I'd hit my version of I've had enough. Yeah, I'd really hit yeah. that. And I was like, there's got to be more to life than this. Yeah. There is a gift in having that moment, I think, because many people yes. just drink through that moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, bear, so bearing in mind that you're a great fan of Annie Grace as I am, what limiting beliefs were you holding about alcohol? I think my, I know it sounds really good, I genuinely believed I liked the taste. I really, I could have sworn blind that Sauvignon Blanc was one of the, the nicest tasting beverages in the world. I really believed that. Definitely the fun element, life won't be as colourful without it. How am I ever going to be able to, I don't know, go to a dinner party and laugh in the same way that I did, um, engage in conversations in the same way that I engaged. It was more those things. I didn't feel the need to have it socially because actually that bothered me drinking out bothered me less than it was it was missing having red wine on a slightly cooler evening you don't get many of those in Mauritius but a slightly cooler evening in Mauritius on my own I liked that I enjoyed that I enjoyed cooking whilst I was having a glass of wine I enjoyed those kind of rituals and they were the ones that I think I thought oh crikey I used to think that they were the healthy way I used to think my way of drinking was healthier. I didn't realize it was the worst way to drink when you're on your own. It's not that I could give or take it when I was out. I wanted to drink, but I would happily have been the designated driver without kicking up too much of a fuss. But I wanted that wine at home. I enjoyed that wine at home. I enjoyed the whole ritual around relaxing, in air quotes, and, and chilling out and sort of having me time. I think that me time was a big part of yeah. it as well. Yeah. But it, obviously it was robbing me of, of any quality time at all. And how um, did you manage to overturn those limiting beliefs? By re -re reading, reading, reading. I mean, I read so much. I read every book on, on alcohol that I could get my hands on. So I, I, 
I tackled it like it was a full-time job. And I, I remember yeah. saying to my husband at the time, for the first two, two and a bit months, I was like, D I don't want to go out. Just leave me to my own devices. I just need to read. And he totally respected it. And he then joined me three months down the line, actually. So we, we both no longer drink. It was, it's been wonderful. But I was like, just leave me. I need to absorb everything. And then I got to that point where I read this quote, and it basically said, never question the decision. Yeah. And I, I was tempted to almost get it tattooed on my arm because it was like N2QD, never question the decision. And I need quick things to go to like that. I don't need to overanalyze it. I want mm -hmm. this drink. Why do I want this drink? I just needed something in that moment to make me just go, no, you're not having it. And it yeah. was never question the decision Yeah. because I've done all the work tip. leading yeah. up to that. I knew the decision to not drink was absolutely essential for, for me going forward. It, it, it was the only way. And I didn't want to spend hours going, oh, gosh, should I have that, shouldn't I? So that, that never question the decision was there straight. Every time I thought about it, dip, right, no, I'm not doing yeah. it. Yeah, love it. <laughs> Talk it to worked. us about the benefits. Oh, endless. <laughs> and they continue to be uh, absolutely endless. I look different. I feel different. I've become energized. I've taken on, you know, I've, I've done courses. I've ended up qualifying as a functional medical health coach. Oh, the irony. If somebody had told me seven, eight years ago when I was, you know, enjoying drinking more that I would eventually be a functional medical health coach, I'd have, I've laughed in their face. So everything has become possible on the back of that. And just simplicity, just reading, reading countless amounts of books and, and having that sort of growth mindset and being able to to share that and my relationships with people, the the people that were the drinking buddies who I, you know, love very dearly, but they've kind of been parked to one side, if you like, and I've developed other relationships and connections mm -hmm. with people that really speak to me in, in, yeah. in many other ways. It's limitless, I think, when you give up alcohol, even if you don't go on to do courses or anything like mm -hmm. that, your life changes in so many ways. And also the, the sense of pride and accomplishment that you've done it. You know, I yeah. always think no yeah. one can take that away from me. I have done what the vast majority of the population mm -hmm. do not do. So that gives me a real added sense of achievement. And it's not that I'm recommending people drink, but people who have never drunk, it's wonderful, good for them. But to have drunk and seen all that side, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, and then to come out of it and to actually reflect on that you feel really empowered and really strong and it's it's a wonderful feeling yeah I'm sure you've read Laura McCowan's book we are the luckiest yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean I think sobriety is a gift that keeps on giving really and it's a yeah, superpower as you said as you say um if we've done this we can do anything that's that's the feeling isn't it yeah so as a health coach do you recommend to your clients that they quit drinking if they're a drinker? Health coaching doesn't quite work like that. I mean, what I do point out, you know, when, when a client initially comes, depends on, you know, whether I know that person in advance or not. But if it's a, a brand new client, I find out first what they are looking for out of health coaching. And then I tend to do like a, there's a wheel of life thing that I give them that basically has some pick out what's most important to them in their life and then they rate it on a scale of one to ten as to where they are with that so say they say families are most important and one is is you know not really making time for it and ten is totally making time for family they then plot it 
on a kind of circle and then they've got a visual to see if their energy is going in the right direction. Now, say they put down health and then we start to explore around health and we, we work on the four pillars of health, which will be diet, sleep, exercise and stress. And we look at that and then it comes to light. We talk about their sleeping, we talk about their eating and then they start talking about their drinking. Then my job really is to slowly shine a light on maybe what they're not looking at. So I wouldn't necessarily go in and say, you're drinking too much. But if I find out that there's, you know, that there's quite a lot of alcohol there, I do kind of let people know in a totally non-judgmental way that it's really, really, really hard to nail the four pillars of health, which lead to good health if you are heavily dependent on alcohol. It's your sleep will without a doubt be disrupted. Your gut will not be absorbing anywhere near the amount of nutrients that you're putting in. And it's arguable that you won't be putting in the good nutrients because heavy drinkers often don't prioritize that. You won't be exercising as well because you'll be, you know, drinking. So it's harder. And your stress will be high because they all work hand in hand. So those four pillars of health are very hard to work on if you're dependent. Now, I'm not saying that's the same if you're having a glass of red wine with a, with a meal and with your family. It's, it's differing levels of drinking. But that has to be addressed really before the other things slot into place. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about sugar because so many drinkers get sugar cravings when they quit because there's so Mm. much sugar in alcohol, obviously. What do you recommend for them? I mean, we tend to say, I don't know if this is the best advice, but we tend to say, well, don't worry too much about what you're eating in those early days. Just focus on not drinking. Don't question Mm. the decision. I interviewed a a natural health expert who's written books, Mary Ann Shearer, and she recommends eating fresh fruit rather than eating sweets. And I just uh, wondered what your recommendations for dealing with those sugar cravings would be in the early days of sobriety. If I'd have known what I know now, when I'd have given up, I would have done it differently because I went on to a full-blown sugar addiction when I stopped drinking. I was already bad with sugar, without a doubt, from childhood. I was very bad. So it was lots, lots of issues um, that I was kind of dealing with. But I knew that I needed to get a handle on it. But just like you do also advise your clients, the only bandwidth I had at the time was just to focus on getting alcohol out. I couldn't take out, I, I couldn't look at anything else. But what I wish I had have realized is that if I'd have avoided junk food, I mean, I was also eating lots of junk, lots of processed, lots of boxed foods, just because... I needed something in my mouth. You know, I needed to focus on something else other than than alcohol. If I'd have known that good quality proteins are really satiating, are really filling and help with blood sugar regulation, fresh fruit, for example, but I wasn't going to those. I was going to sugar, sugar. I was going to naughty treats. Good fats, if I'd have realized that actually bulking up on good fats, good olive oil, uh, good dressings for my salad, Dijon mustard, olive oil, coconut oil, those good fats and Instead, I basically stopped drinking, developed a full-on sugar addiction, then would not eat properly because I thought, oh my gosh, I've just had three Mars bars and I've just binged out on Pringles. And so then I wouldn't eat because I thought I've just eaten all those calories. And it just became a vicious cycle of me really not fueling my body with the right stuff. I didn't succumb to the alcohol, but it certainly took longer for me to feel better. I should have felt better a lot earlier than I did because I was just replacing it with sugar. So there are small hacks you can make. There are small hacks. Like like that lady said, eat fresh fruit if you're going to go for sugary things. 
really reduce things like bread if you can bread and uh bread related products and biscuits and things like that and try to concentrate more on on whole foods but i would say don't skimp on good food mm. don't start messing around with oh i can't eat too much now i can't eat whatever just have good quality meals with with real food like fruit like vegetables like uh, good quality fish good quality meat good quality oils things like that concentrate on real food to build up um your, your microbiome the the bacteria in your gut which controls so much so so build those things up and try to steer away from sugar uh bread related products and things that can give you that sugar spike and how long did you struggle with your sugar addiction and how did you kick that one two years <laughs> so wow. I, yeah i i did so i wouldn't recommend doing it the way i did it um mm. but at the time there was no other way that that was all I knew and that was mm -hmm. my whole mindset was just I have to stop drinking I don't want to drink again so I focused on that I then really went heavily into sugar I then messed around a bit I did keto for seven months where sugar's pulled out and you know no carbs low carbs but what I hadn't done was address the underlying issue of how I was eating I did a nutrition course with the Food Matters Institute Two years ago, I learned a lot from that and then went on and did my functional medical health coaching course with the Cresser Institute. And that's when I really started to learn basically just, just how to eat well, how to nourish yeah. your body, how to look after it from the inside. And the rest has been history. The, the weight's dropped off. I feel I don't have afternoon slump, nothing. And it's just because my blood sugar's regulated. Yeah. I eat well and I eat whole foods. I don't eat junk. I don't eat sugar, gluten, and I just eat well. But I eat very well. I don't look at my portion sizes or anything like that anymore. I used to obsess over things like that. I don't. Mm. I just eat well and I eat when I'm hungry. Yeah, that, that's great advice, Laura. I was always on a diet while I was drinking, always. Remember, in my 20s, I used to live on cigarettes and white wine, basically. But my, my eating improved a little bit. I was always into the organic, you know, but always drinking that bottle of wine every day and struggling to keep my weight down. But when I, when I gave up drinking, nothing much happened for a few months. But after about six or seven months, the extra, it wasn't a huge amount, maybe two, three kilos dissolve practically overnight and these days I can eat whatever I want you know and I'm mm -hmm. like you I never look at the ocean size so my my theory is that our metabolism doesn't work properly when we drink too much and when we get healthy again it, it starts working like it like it should work yeah because you know alcohol affect it I mean it, it hugely impacts your gut bacteria and that gut bacteria mm -hmm. impacts how you digest food it's weight management mm -hmm. it's everything it's cognitive function it's it's depression it's anxiety and when you're drinking it's, it's like pouring bleach down your gullet basically and it wipes yeah. it clean of stuff so you're starting again you're reseeding that gut which then in turn controls and regulates your your metabolism and everything so similar to you I I eat I'm not frightened of food at all mm. I love food I enjoy it I just eat the right food now you're listening to a podcast from tribe sober if you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab that's www.tribesober.com 
So when we quit drinking, we can turn our attention, can't we, to healing, healing our minds and our bodies. And I was wondering if seeing a functional health coach like yourself is a good starting point for that. I think it can definitely complement it. It really can. It depends on where you are with your drinking in the sense that if you are really struggling and obviously you, you, you put everything into your recovery with it without a doubt. But I think seeing someone like me or, or a functional health coach can really help ease the transition into a non-drinking or a, a lesser drinking lifestyle. And like I say, if I'd have known what I know now, it would have made those early years much easier. Even though I attacked them with gusto and I was excited, I was, I was very passionate about it. But I think, goodness me, I definitely didn't need to go through another two-year sugar addiction and then an eight-month keto diet whilst I wasn't really knowing what I was doing. I was just, I must stop sugar now. I must stop. So I wish I'd have had that information. I wish somebody had helped with that because health coaching really is about behavioral change. It's, it's a little bit about education, but it's really about creating the behavioral change around the four pillars of health, around diet, exercise, sleep, and stress reduction. So broadly, people do know what to do. They know they need to exercise more. They know they need to drink less. They know they need to get better nutrients in and maybe de-stress a little. But putting it into action is another thing. And that's really where health coaching comes in. It's, it's creating and helping you create the behavioral change to create the habit that will become a lifelong habit. And that's really where, where I work uh, with people. I used to be an executive coach and I think just like any kind of coaching, the fact that you're going back to that person again and again <coughs> to review your progress and yeah. plan the next stage, it's so powerful. Yes. And focusing on when people are going right. People focus so much on what they're not doing, uh, but they don't focus on where they are going well. And I think that's, I think women in particular uh, are guilty of that, of, of always looking you know, I should have exercised three times this week and I only managed it once. But you managed it once and it's focusing yes. on what they're doing and capitalizing on that, not beating yourself up for what you're not doing. Just, you know, even people people who are on the Tribe Sober website and who've signed up, just the very fact that they are addressing, looking at it, even if they're not doing anything about it, they're starting the groundwork. That's huge. That's absolutely oh. huge just to start that groundwork, to start to... To acknowledge, I think drinking could be an issue for me. I mean, that in and of itself is so much further along that many people get. I mean, that's what I say to people that just reaching out for help and doing something like signing yes. up is uh, is the the hardest step. Yeah. And then I say to people for the first few weeks, just listen and learn, and don't yeah. feel you have to comment on the groups. Just read what other people are saying, and gradually you'll you'll feel excited about the change rather than terrified, and you'll want to start trying. Mm. So I've yeah. got a question here that one of our members sent, and she says, what would be a helpful protocol for people to adopt to support their brain and body when ditching the drink, especially in the first two weeks, months, three months, etc.? How can they improve their mood and energy? Well, I would say it's, it's pretty much similar to what I, I said earlier, that really you want to get your blood sugar regulated because crossover sugar addiction when people reduce or stop alcohol is massive and, and alcohol is sugar I mean from the neck downwards that's how your body 
processes it, if you like. It's a sugar hit. So I would definitely say try to limit processed food. Try to limit junk food, stuff that comes in a box. If you have to scan it at the supermarket, you know, obviously you have to scan things like cauliflower that's in a pack. But if you actually have to scan it and it's in a box and it's got more than three ingredients in it, be wary of it. And really, if you can, really reduce your sugar intake and really reduce your gluten intake. Now, gluten is a, is a protein that's found in bread, cakes, biscuits, crackers, pasta. Try and reduce it because, again, it's a carbohydrate, but it's not a quality carbohydrate. So a carbohydrate like potatoes or sweet potatoes or root vegetables are, are wonderful. But a, a carbohydrate like bread, it's sugar. It's basically sugar to your body. If you start eating lots of bread or lots and lots of pasta, you will start having blood sugar dips, particularly if you eat it alone. If you're to have a slice of, I don't know, sourdough, but you're to layer it with avocado and two eggs, that's very different to just having a slice of toast and jam, for example. So try and get your blood sugar regulated by reducing sugar, reducing bread and pasta and things like that, and try and put in whole foods so fish, I mean tinned fish as well, sardines, but try and put in whole foods, uh, rich in omega-3s, which are great for your brain health, quality meat if you can get it, sweet potatoes, potatoes, root vegetables, with olive oil, roasted, pan-roasted, or you know, shepherd's pie, things like that. Try and get those foods in. Good fats, so good olive oils with your salad dressings and stuff. You can cook with coconut oil. You can make homemade granolas with lots of nuts and seeds and bake them with coconut oil and cinnamon. That, that's kind of my breakfast. Good quality dairy like uh, Greek yogurts and, and stuff like that. That can be okay in moderation. But concentrate basically on real food. Plenty of water and herbal teas to support your detoxification. But basically by eating real food, and it, it really is much simpler than, than people realize, by eating real food, you'll start to recalibrate all those other things. And if you're pulling out the alcohol, you'll start to sleep better. You'll start to have less blood sugar dips, which mean that you won't be waking up in the middle of the night. You won't be feeling all cold and clammy at, you know, mid-afternoon. You won't be having a slump. So you'll have more energy. You'll have more energy to be able to exercise and just Put in little things like that. I would also, so that's the food element. I would also recommend getting out in nature as much as possible. If you can, if you have a dog, walk your dog. Try and increase your steps. If you're not already exercising, it's a great way to build up exercise by getting out and trying to reach up to 10,000 steps a day. And being outdoors is, is, is wonderful. And it certainly, you know, it resets your circadian clock that helps with your sleep. Things like first thing in the morning, try not to go and put your light on. Try and open your curtains and get outside into natural light if it is light. Because again, that stimulates the melatonin cortisol production, which helps with your sleep when you go to bed at night. So that's another hack. And, and try, if you are coming off booze, your sleep should slowly start to improve. And really try to maximize your time in bed and your time sleeping. I'm not saying... You know, lay in bed if you can't sleep at all. That's not necessarily great. Get up and read or whatever. But try and maximize your sleep because that also resets everything. If you look at your food, your food then really informs the other things you do. Just like when you look at your alcohol 
and you address that, that then also informs how you're going to show up with sleep, with stress reduction and with your exercise levels. So just quality and don't focus on punishing yourself, focus on nourishing yourself with the best food that you can get. That's really what I would say. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at Janet at TribeSober.com. That's Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at TribeSober.com, and we'll send you an invitation. Fabulous. Anything else that we haven't talked about that you think we should mention, Laura? I think really being compassionate with yourself and being gentle on yourself is really, really important because you're already, if you're addressing your alcohol, you're already coming in with a certain amount of, oh God, have I got to this stage where I've got to. So you're already at a a point of feeling vulnerable, I think, and feeling a bit overwhelmed. So I would say, go easy with yourself And small steps, that's what coaching is all about, taking small steps. So if you've gone from absolutely, I don't know, no fruit and veg in your diet, then just add in a portion. Try and add in a portion in one week. So add in broccoli with a meal or try and sprinkle a few nuts on cereal. Just slowly start to add things in. You don't have to attack it full on if it feels overwhelming. Just slowly start to build up good eating habits, for example. So if you don't eat very much fruit, try and add in an extra portion of fruit a day and start to go from there because otherwise it can all feel a bit bit too much and you can then just go back to square one. If you just take it slowly and gently, small steps. So how can people get in touch with you, Laura? I presume you do Zoom consults? Yes, I do Zoom consults. Um, I am waiting for a website. It will be a couple of months in, in the making, so I don't have one at the moment. I have an email address. It's lauragadgetar at hotmail.co.uk, which is um, L-A-U-R-A-G-U-J-A-D-H-U-R at hotmail.co.uk. And I also respond to WhatsApp messages as well. And my number is 2305-867-5482. Thank you, Laura. That was so helpful. Let's pull out a few key points. We began by clarifying the difference between functional medicine and conventional medicine. Laura explained that conventional medicine is disease management, which treats the symptoms, whereas functional medicine looks at the root cause of disease. A good example would be going to a conventional doctor with a rash, That doctor would be unlikely to ask you about your diet, your stress levels, and whether you've had an allergy test. He'd probably give you a cream to calm it down a bit. But he wouldn't have got to the root cause of what's going on. So functional medicine looks at the root cause of disease and illness and starts from there. Whereas conventional medicine is something we resort to when we are already sick. Functional medicine practitioners encourage you to work on your health so that you don't develop chronic disease. You actually become the architect of your own health. 
Laura's interest in health and wellness began about five years ago when she quit drinking. A member of her family was diagnosed with depression and immediately put on antidepressants, which didn't sit well with Laura. And about that time, she'd stumbled upon a book called The Ultra Mind Solution by Dr. Mark Hyman. In this book, he explains that when he heals someone's gut and sorts out the inflammation, the cognitive function improves and the depression and anxiety just go away. As an ex-nurse married to a doctor, this came as a revelation to Laura. They'd never learned anything like this in medical school. So she decided to approach functional medicine in the same way that she'd approached sobriety. She would read everything she could get her hands on. After all, Annie Grace's book, The Naked Mind, had been such an eye-opener for her and made her realise the extent of our limiting beliefs around alcohol. Her research into functional medicine made her realise that conventional medicine was simply driven by Big Pharma and that in fact she'd been rather naive not to question it further during her medical training and career. Laura's decision to quit drinking for a month came after a party when she woke up with a serious hangover and thought, enough. So she white-knuckled her way through the month and used the extra time that she'd saved to read everything she could. Her belief systems around drinking had already been overturned by the naked mind and she realised she just couldn't go back to drinking at the end of her alcohol-free month. Laura threw the book at her sobriety and like so many others who've succeeded, she treated it like a job. She told her husband she would not be entertaining or going anywhere for three months as she wanted to concentrate on her research. Now we all learn differently, so it could be helpful to reflect on our personal learning style as we approach the difficult task of learning how to give up alcohol. Did you know that there are four distinct learning styles? The first one is the activist. The activists are people who learn best by doing. They like to get their hands dirty and are enthusiastic about being thrown in the deep end and trying new things. An activist would dive straight into their sobriety and they would clock up many day ones in that first year because they'd be learning by experience how to be sober. The second learning style is the theorist. These are people who learn best by understanding the theory behind why something is the way it is. They need models, concepts and the facts to be able to learn effectively. They enjoy analysing and assimilating information to form their own theories. They value logic and rational thinking. And that's exactly how Laura likes to learn. The third learning style is pragmatists. Pragmatists learn best when they can see how what they are learning can be put into practice in the real world. A pragmatist is going to get inspired when they see others in the tribe succeeding and know that they can ask them for advice, feedback and inspiration. And finally, the fourth learning style is reflector. Reflectors are people who learn best when they can observe others and think about what they've just observed. They avoid jumping straight in and prefer to watch first. 
These are the people who may join Tribe Sober and stay on the sidelines for a while. They're watching, listening and learning, but not quite ready to participate yet. But they will get inspired and start their journey eventually. So remember, we're all learning in our own way and shouldn't be comparing our progress with others. We just need to keep trying and it'll come together. So let's go back to Laura. What I found interesting was the fact that once she'd done all her research and reading, she was absolutely ready to make a firm decision once and for all. And she decided she would never question the decision. I think that's such a helpful strategy, which will stand her in good stead if she has a craving or is under pressure from others to drink. She actually approached her sobriety with the same gusto and enthusiasm that she used to approach her drinking sessions. She focused on what she was gaining rather than losing by leading an alcohol-free lifestyle. However, Laura did go into full-blown sugar addiction when she quit drinking and wishes that she'd had a functional health coach to teach her how to do the transition. That would have resulted in her feeling a lot better sooner. So these days, Laura is qualified as a functional health coach. She talked about the four pillars of health, diet, exercise, stress reduction and sleep, and emphasised that a health coach could ease the transition into the alcohol-free lifestyle and help to avoid a cross-addiction. And as she said, we all know broadly what we should be doing to stay healthy, but the value of a health coach is that she'll ensure that you implement and stick to the right eating plan and exercise regime. And we both agreed that coaching is super valuable to keep people on track, especially women. Laura believes that many women tend to focus on what they haven't done rather than focusing on their achievements. And a coach can help you reflect on what you are doing right. Laura offers a free 20-minute call to Tribe Sober members as well as discounted sessions. You can reach out to her on WhatsApp 230-586-75482 and her email is lauragujador at hotmail.com. I'll put all that in the show notes. And finally, Laura said that anyone who's joined Tribe Sober should be proud of themselves because just admitting that they may have a problem and reaching out for help is a huge first step. I couldn't agree more, Laura. So if you're listening to this and you're worried about your drinking, why not take that first step today? Just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. So let me finish by reading out a member message from one of our chat rooms. This is Lauren. The day after I gave up drinking, I promised myself that if I stayed sober for a year, I would go to Bali and do my yoga teacher training. Well, here I am, a year and a bit later, fulfilling that promise. Today I bathed at the water temple, cleansing and releasing what was and embracing the new. To anyone struggling, you can do it. The only person stopping you is you. There is so much light, love and happiness on the other side of self-loathing. One day at a time. Fantastic, Lauren. What an inspiration you are. So that's it from me. 
Don't forget our 66-day alcohol-free challenge starts on the 1st of September. So just go to tribesober.com and all the info is on the homepage. See you next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.